When wishes were horses and beggars could ride, in a stone castle by the sea there lived a rich land. How am I supposed to choose? There are so many. And so he left the trail, and he followed the sound of the music. I am the goat from the hills and the mountains. And when I have finished eating these herbs and these vegetables, then I shall eat you, too. <laughs> Once upon a time, and welcome to the Story Story Podcast. I'm your host, Rachel Ann Harding, and I have some stories for you. This is a podcast to hear traditional stories told by some of the best storytellers in the world. It will take you to long ago and far away and will bring you back safely. I was coming home from work. The wind was picking up and the forecasters had all said in very serious voices that a cold front was coming in. Temperatures were dropping as I got groceries and drove home. When I turned off the car, I stepped out and then clutched, slipping and sliding my feet met ice. Sorry. I looked up and looked right through him. He was a shimmer that breathed puffs of cold air. I smiled. Hello, Jack. I extended my hand towards Jack Frost in a friendly handshake, and he pulled off my glove. He touched the tip of my finger with his. Ice cold shot down my hand. It felt like I had dunked my fingers in cold water and I jerked it back. He smiled. It'll only last a few minutes. Have fun. Then the sun snuck out behind clouds, and with a shimmer and a puff of wind, he was gone. The first teller for this episode is Donna Washington. She's a highly animated performer and has been entertaining, educating, and inspiring audiences with her vocal pyrotechnics, elastic face, and deep characterizations that bring stories to life for over 30 years. She is a joy to meet in person and a joy to hear recorded. Have you ever wanted something, like really, really wanted something? So did the prince in her story. The Boy Who Wanted the Moon Once there was a great king in Africa. He had many daughters and only one son. And he loved that boy more than anything in the world. And he gave him everything. At the age of six, that little boy had his own house. He had gold bracelets up to his elbows. He had anklets and he had gold earrings in his ears. And a golden stud in his nose. The little boy even had a golden chair and six servants to carry him around so he would not have to walk. His father loved him so much, he made him king of all the children in the kingdom. And because there were more children than adults, that little boy had more subjects than his father. Every day he would call all of his subjects together and they would have to watch him eat his lunch. Then they would have to watch him get his face washed. And when he was done, they would have to watch as he took a nap. They couldn't leave until he told them to. None of the children liked the little boy. One day, the prince stood up and said, I am the greatest child who ever lived, and I have everything. There was a little girl in the square who'd had enough. She stood up and said, Oh, no, you don't. You don't have everything. And the little boy said, Yes, I do. 
Tell me something I do not have. And she said, you don't have the moon. He realized she was right. He dismissed his subjects. He went straight to his father and he said, Father, I want the moon. His father looked at him and began to laugh. <laughs> You're joking, right? The little boy said, No, I want the moon. His father looked him up one side and down the other and said, Well, I, I, I'm sorry, but you can't have the moon. In all of his life, no one had ever said no to that little boy. He clenched up his fists. He squished up his face. He began to scream and wail and holler and cry. He beat his hands up against the floor. He beat his head up against the wall. His father didn't know what to do. The little boy flung himself around the room and then he said, If you don't get me the moon, I won't eat or sleep or anything. I will die of sadness. And he ran out of the room. His father didn't know what to do. He ran straight to the wise people. He said, you've got to help me. The wise people said, yes, your majesty, how may we help you? You've got to get the moon for my son. The wise people said, you're joking, right? The king said, no, I'm not joking. My son wants the moon. The wise people looked him up one side and down the other and said, your majesty, the gods put the moon in the sky for a reason. Don't you think maybe we should just leave it up there? The king said, my son is more important than anything in this world. And he has told me that if he cannot have the moon, he will not eat or sleep. He'll die of sadness. And the wise people said, he's six years old. He'll grow out of this. But the king wouldn't hear of it. So the wise people put their heads together and told the king, if you want to get the moon, this is what you must do. For the next ten years, you must build a scaffolding to the sky. A scaffolding, a wooden ladder. And at the end of ten years, in the deepest part of the night, the moon will pass right overhead, and you can pull it out of the sky. But, Your Majesty, that might not be the wisest thing to do. But the king wasn't even listening. He ran away from them, back toward his home. For the next ten years, all of the people in the kingdom did nothing but build a scaffolding, a wooden ladder to the sky. And in the deepest part of the night, after the king, his son, and all of the people had climbed that scaffolding, the moon passed right overhead, and the king reached his hands up and grabbed it. Ow! Ow! He jumped back, his hands covered in blisters. He said to his son, You can't have the moon, it's too hot. If you cannot tell someone what to do when they are six years old, you have no hope when they reach 16. The prince turned to his father and said, I have been waiting for ten years, and I will have the moon. He reached his hands up and grabbed it. And even though it was burning his hands, he held on. And then he pulled. And the moon broke. And 
pieces of hot moon rock showered down on those people. And where it touched their skin, it burned them, and they fell from the scaffolding. And where it touched that scaffolding, it burst into flame. They all began falling towards the ground, and they surely would have died, except for the gods of Africa who reached down and caught all of those people in their hands. But to teach them a lesson about trying to undo what the gods themselves had done, they turned every single one of them into monkeys and sprinkled them throughout the world. To this day, monkeys live in trees. They are still trying to get high enough to reach the moon. And that is the story of the boy who wanted the moon. Today's fairy tale sponsor is Seven Guys Cafe. A short stroll or a panicked run through the dark woods will find you on your way to Seven Guys Cafe. Serving up shortbread and sliders, they'll dwarf the competition and be with you shortly. This family-run restaurant brings the best forest food that can be cooked up with comfort food like stranger stew and runaway ribs. Kiss the frog legs. Round out your meal with to-die-for apple pie with apples from the local Malice Apple Orchard, Seven Guys Cafe. When you're here, your family now hiring short-order cooks. Did you know that all the patrons of the podcast have the unique ability to resist musical earworms and are patrons of the arts? You can do both of these things as well for as little as $4 a month. A big thank you to all the patrons who make this podcast possible. If you want to hear me make up fairy tale facts about you, then maybe you should become a supporter too. It would be pretty cool. My finger was so cold. I reached my hand for my glove that Jack had dropped on the ground. The moment my fingers touched the cloth, beautiful crystals began to grow and form tiny spires covering the glove entirely. Oh, that was what he gave me. I walked quickly over to a lilac bush with bare branches, trembling in a light breeze, touching my finger to the tip of a branch. Ice patterns swirled and swept down the branch and then blossomed out like crystal leaves. I ran my finger across the chain-link fence and the ice formed in the gaps of wire like tiny stained-glass church windows shimmering in the light. I created winding tendrils of frost around a lamppost and caused feathers of ice to fly out across the frozen lawn. As the winter light faded, I played in frost and ice, painful cold, and dazzling beauty. The second teller for this episode is Milbury Birch, who is an award-winning, internationally known performer and recording artist, as well as a monologist, playwright, and teacher of the craft. She is an incredibly generous storyteller who has shared so many of her stories on this podcast. And here is another one. She adapted a story by Jane Yolen about a beautiful prince in the story Sans Soleil. There was once a prince called Sans Soleil, which is to say sunless. It was prophesied at his birth that he would grow more beautiful than the sun. That he might not be killed by that jealous star, he had to be kept in the dark, for it was said that he would die if ever a shaft of sunlight fell upon his brow. So on the night of his birth, 
his father carried him away to a castle carved out of a rock. And there, in that candlelit cave castle, Sansole grew and flourished. By the time he was twenty years old, the story of his strange beauty and of the evil prediction had been heard at every hearth and hall, and every maiden of marrying age had heard his tragic tale. One in particular, Biga, the daughter of a duke, did not believe what she had heard. Surely, she said, tossing her raven black hair from her face, surely the king keeps his son from the light because he is too monstrous to behold. Nay, said her father, I have been to that cave castle, and I have seen that prince. He is more handsome than the sun. But the sun cannot kill, said Vika. It nourishes. There is no sense in what you say. And so she took herself to the king, dressed in her finest gown of gold and silver. There, she said, Sire, at court you have been taken in by lies. The sun cannot harm. It causes things to grow. It cannot hurt the prince. The king was touched by her sincerity and moved by her beauty, and he liked her sense of purpose, for he knew it took no little courage to contradict a king. Still, he shook his head, saying, It has been prophesied that he would die if a shaft of sunlight struck his brow. Old wives and small babes believe such tales. They should not frighten you, sire. They do not frighten me. They do not frighten you because you are not the one who would die. And at the king's words, all the courtiers smiled and murmured to one another. Still, said the king, I will give the matter some more thought. Vega bowed low to him and spoke so softly that only he heard her say, It does seem strange that S-U-N and S-O-N sound the same. Then she smiled brightly and was gone. The king was true to his word. He gave the matter more thought, and what he concluded was this, that Vega and his son should wed, for he liked her courage and admired her beauty and thought that she would make a suitable wife for the prince. So the king and the duke set a wedding date for a week from that night. When the night was deep and no sun still at the sky, a carriage with drawn curtains pulled up in front of Vega's door. From it stepped the prince dressed in sun colors. He was the handsomest man Vega had ever seen. They were wed by candlelight and exchanged golden rings carved with images of the sun. There was feasting and dancing till three, and then the couple talked and kissed as befits two who are newly wed. In the morning, the village cockerels called out to greet the dawn. <coughs> Sansoleil sat up quickly. I must go. I cannot allow the sun to shine upon me. Do not leave me, said Vika. Now that we are wed, I cannot bear to be parted from you even for a day. Do not be afraid of the sun. It will not harm you. Stay with me. No, I'm only safe in my cave, said Sansoleil. You are my wife. Come and live with me in my cave castle. In a cave, said Vega. Never. The prince pulled away from her, stepped into his carriage, and was gone before the sun could gain the sky. However, 
Vega was a woman of strong will. So determined was she to prove to San Soleil that she was right, and he need not fear the sun, that she devised a plan. That day she sent her maidservants to buy up all the cockerels in the kingdom. Then she had her footmen bind the birds and throw them into her father's deepest dungeon, where it was night all of the time. But there was one rooster they could not purchase, the pet of the potter's boy. The child cried so at the thought of losing his pet that the father would not sell the bird. What is one cockerel among so many, the servants asked themselves, and so they did not tell their lady about that one last bird. When evening came, the carriage with drawn curtains came back to Viga's door. From it stepped the prince, wearing a cap with feathers that stood out like golden rays, and in his hand he held a sunburst, a ruby brooch with beams like a star. This is my only son, he said to Vika. Now it is yours. And with that they forgave each other the harsh words of the morning. They laughed and touched and talked through the night as married couples do. But in the morning, the cockerel of the potter's child began to crow. Sonsole sat up. Is that a cockerel I hear? No, said Vega sleepily. There is no cockerel, for indeed she thought there was none. But when its brothers did not sing out an answer, the bird crowed even louder than before. <coughs> I am sure it is a cockerel. I must go. Do not put your faith in a tail. The sun cannot hurt you. Put your faith in me, said Vika. But already he was away, headed back to his cave castle and the darkness therein. Still, Vika was a woman of purpose and passion. She was determined not to lose her lover for a single day because of such a foolish tale. She was convinced that if the prince but forgot the son, he would learn that it would do him no harm. So she decided to have the last rooster put in her father's dungeon. She did not trust her servants any more. She left her house wrapped in a cloak, her sleeve covering her face. She wandered the village till she saw the rooster, strutting and preening its feathers in the sun. She looked to see that no one was watching, and then grabbed up the bird and thrust it under her cloak. In the night of that garment, the bird made no sound. She was back in her own house before the potter's child could cry. Then she waited impatiently for the sunset marking her lover's return. That evening... So great was his haste to be with Vega that Sansole himself drove the carriage to her door. With one graceful leap he was in her arms. They ate and danced and sang and talked and touched till morning. Only this time there were no cockerels to call and warn of the sun's approach. Suddenly Sansole glanced out the window. It is becoming light. I must go. I cannot let the sun shine on me. Oh, stay with me. Stay asleep. Stay quiet, said Vega, and with her strong fingers she smoothed his hair. Tell me, is that the sun? For I have never seen it shine. It is, said Vega, and it cannot hurt you. Stay with me to greet the dawn. She smoothed his neck with her hands. He was moved by her plea and by his love for her. But in the last moment, his fear conquered him, and he pulled himself from her arms. 
No, I must go to my cave. There I will be safe. Before she could stop him, he ran out of the doorway and into the dawn. Do not be afraid. Do not trust a foolish tale. You are the sun, said Vega, running after him, her black hair streaming behind her like the rays of a black star. But San Soleil did not hear her words, for he stopped in the courtyard and looked as the sun rose in full brilliance over the garden wall. He had never seen anything so glorious. He stared at the burning star, and the light shone full upon his brow, and with a single cry of pain or anger or regret, he fell down dead. Vika saw him fall, and running to him, she clasped him in her arms and held her breast to his and placed her cool brow against the ashes of his. Oh, son Soleil, she cried, then it was true. Who would have believed it? Now it is I who am sonless, for you were my son. The next year, in the place where San Soleil had fallen, there grew a sunflower. But unlike the others of its kind, it bloomed all year round and always turned its face away from the sun. Vega had a belvedere built around it and spent her days tending the flower, watering it, and turning the soil. And whenever there were visitors to her father's house, she told them the story of her love for San Soleil. And always the story ended with this caution. Sometimes, Vika would say, what we believe is stronger than what is true. Thank you for listening to the Story Story Podcast. Show the love. Find Donna Washington and Milbury Birch on the internet. Tell them you heard them on the podcast and now want to hear them tell more stories. You can find me and the podcast on Facebook and Instagram at Story Story Podcast or Rachel Ann Harding. There are three beautiful brains behind the fairy tale sponsor today, Mark Goldman, Katie Knutson, and Christina Vincent. The inspiration for the true fairy tale was a story seed from Laura Packer. You can find her lovely story and writing prompts by looking her up on social media. While you're there, check out the ads for the fairy tale sponsors and let me know the favorite story you have heard or the favorite stories of your childhood. Who knows? Maybe you'll hear them here soon. This podcast is made possible by patrons like you. If you'd like to become a supporter of the podcast or discover sponsorship opportunities, you can find links on storystorypodcast.com. If it isn't in the cards to support the podcast right now, no worries. Perhaps you'd be willing to go write a review on iTunes, which helps other story lovers find and enjoy the podcast. Head over to the website and join the mailing list for hidden goodies. And if you tune in, you will hear more stories next week. But until then, live happily ever after. Mary Kate opened up the door, and there on the doorstep, wrapped in his own blanket, was her baby. And to this day, Anansi spins webs so that he can catch the flea, the fly, and the moth that got away. If you go down to the lake on a clear day, when the water lies as calm as a sheet of glass, you can still see the rooftops of the castle glittering in the sunlight. You can even hear the festive music from the royal court.
I walked quickly over to a lilac bush with bare branches trembling in the light breeze, touching my finger to the tip of the branch. I want to be more relaxed. I want to be more relaxed because I sound so formal and I'm not.